Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, June 16th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 to 15. The Lord gives Jeremiah another object lesson from pottery. In today's text, Jeremiah buys an earthenware flask and smashes it in the sight of the people in order to pre preach concerning the destruction that's coming upon the people of Judah and Jerusalem. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Vance Becker. Pastor Becker is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as a theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. Pastor Becker, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's a privilege to be here. How are things going in Kenya, Pastor Becker? Can you give us an update on the mission work that's happening there? Well, uh, the classes we, we classes were suspended for a while because of a COVID-19 lockdown, uh, but they have been able to resume. We were able to give the final exams for the previous semester, and now we're about three weeks, uh, four weeks actually, into the new semester, and uh, most all the students are here. I think things are going uh, fairly well, um, and... Uh, uh, the, I, I think that the, the students are, are appreciating their classes. I'm enjoying the classes I'm teaching, um, even though there's always surprises and things that you just didn't know were, were going to happen until they happen. That's the way life is here. That's right. I would imagine. So what I, I'm particularly joyful to be talking to you today. Yesterday, I had a roundtable. I had three other pastors right here in my office. And today I'm, I'm talking to you on the other side of, of the world. We're, we're several hours apart. Oh, what a joy it is to be a part of this this church that extends worldwide and to, to share in the faith that God gives. So it's, it's really a joyful thing to, to have you with us today. I think last time you were with us, we talked about First Peter, and we've shifted gears a little bit. We're in Jeremiah chapter 19. Although I have to say, Pastor Becker, I think you were one of the one of your comments on First Peter got my brain going to, to think about Jeremiah next, because in First Peter, we were talking about the elect exiles to whom Peter writes, and Jeremiah is writing to people and preaching to people who are about to be in exile. Some of them, he's, he's preaching judgment. Some of them, as we will see, he's going to preach words of comfort later on. So we've been in Jeremiah for quite some time now. We're in chapter 19. As we prepare to, to look at this chapter today, Pastor Becker, what kind of context should we know about the prophet, his ministry, and particularly the section of the book that we're in right now? Yes, I've been listening in as I have ability to, uh, to the conversation so far, and so that's been helpful. I don't need to repeat everything that uh, we need to know about Jeremiah, but I will mention this. Um, the chapter yesterday uh, had to do with his visit to a potter, and it seems that that chapter, chapter 18, this one 19, and the next one 20, uh, are a group uh, together. Now, as others have commented, uh, the material in Jeremiah is not chronological, apparently. Um, so this is not 
but these three apparently do seem to be connected together chronologically. Um, and uh, what I would say that what he was, he visited the potter and he learned some things. And so now he is specifically told to, to use pottery in order to uh, share a message with others. Um, uh, part of the connection is that in uh, chapter 18, Jeremiah notes that uh, he says, oh, the people, they're going to plot against me for saying this. And he's got this lament, God, boy, this really makes my life miserable. And in the following chapter, now chapter 20, yes, that's exactly what happens. Uh, he's plotted against uh, by Pasher, the priest, and he's arrested. Uh, somebody's going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, it has been suggested that, uh, in view of what happens there in chapter 20, that uh, this chapter clearly connects to it. And so this chapter also must come after the time of Josiah. Now, we know that he prophesied during the time of Josiah, who was one of the relatively good uh, interludes in the kings of Judah, uh, attempted some reforms. And the reason it's thought that it's not during the time of Josiah is because of the, the imprisonment uh, in chapter 20 has been suggested that surely Josiah wouldn't have allowed that to happen yeah. on his watch. And so this whole episode uh, is thought to have come to be coming later uh, during, say, Jehoahaz or, or one of the later kings. Although chapter 22, which comes now after this section yet, is suggested to be from a, a later period yet, because it refers by name to Shalom and to Jehoiakim, who we know came uh, somewhat later. Um, and it's suggested that uh, chapter 22, which comes somewhat later, was actually put next to these chapters because of the continuity of thought of the, this negative reaction to uh, Jeremiah's message. Yeah, as you indicate, Jeremiah is not strictly chronological, and sometimes the texts are difficult to determine precisely when in Jeremiah's ministry they occur. Sometime after the reign of King Josiah does make good sense for a text like this with its you know unit together with chapters 18 and 20 and the persecution that he receives, particularly being put in the stocks, which we'll read about tomorrow, does seem to fall in a later time period than, than what Josiah would have allowed. So likely, you know, getting... After Josiah, toward these last several kings of Judah, who are quite evil, allowing the idolatry again, that's probably the time frame that we're looking at. And into that, the Lord is going to give Jeremiah a word to preach. It's going to be one of these visual sermons, which goes along with the same image that Jeremiah was given yesterday. Yesterday, the Lord sent him to the potter's house to watch the, the potter spinning his, his clay into a bowl and reworking it according to his own will. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, and it doesn't say this, but you kind of wonder if the Lord sent Jeremiah back to that same potter to go buy this earthenware flask that we're going to hear today. Any more introductory comments, Pastor Becker, before we get started on the text? Well, I'll just make the comment that this chapter, okay, it's a, a visual prophecy message of Jeremiah, although actually we, we don't hear Jeremiah himself speaking here. Most of the chapter is simply... God 
speaking to Jeremiah, saying, here's what you're going to do, here's what you're going to say, etc. And at the very end, we have uh, a third person. Uh, so Jeremiah come, you know, does this, comes from there, and then goes somewhere else, that is, to the temple, um, which apparently is written by Baruch, his scribe, um, whereas typically other acted prophecies or in the first person, I, this, this, this. In this chapter, uh, we don't actually have Jeremiah saying, I. So let's read here in Jeremiah 19 what the Lord gives Jeremiah to do. We're beginning at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Go, buy a potter's earthenware flask, and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle, because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. <laughs> That's through verse nine. I'll pause there, Pastor Becker. Let's talk about the, the very first thing that the Lord gives Jeremiah to do. He tells him to go buy a, a potter's earthenware flask. What what should we be picturing here? What's Jeremiah told to go buy? The, the, the word there is for a uh, sort of a drug with a long, narrow neck bottle, you might call it. Um, and uh, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, the the name the Hebrew name of this is uh, a bakbuk. Uh, it suggested sort of a a, a sound name. Uh, if you can picture pouring out of a bottle, going buk, 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 you know, as you pour it out, um, that's that's what it's called. It's called a buk, buk, buk. <laughs> the the sound that makes when you pour out of a, a jug like this. Um, now I'll make the comment. The translation is to go to buy this potter's earthenware vessel. Um, the the, the uh, verb literally is simply acquire, acquire this jug. And it's interesting that he's also told to to uh, these elders of the people and the elders of the priests. Well, there's no verb for that, so apparently that's just. One of the things he's also acquiring, he's going to acquire this jug, 
and these elders and those elders. That's, so he's gathering this together um, to, to go out to, out to date. All right, so he's he's getting not only his he's getting his congregation together, he's getting his object lesson together, the the glug glug, the buck buck, and and then the the people who are going to listen, the elders of the people, the elders of the priests, and then the Lord gives them the the place to go to as well. We've seen the Lord instruct Jeremiah where to preach sermons in the past, sometimes in the temple. Here he's told to go to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate. So what's the what's this valley that we're talking about and what's the gate that we're talking about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, now, the valley, the valley of the son of Hinnom, uh, that name predates uh, Israel occupation. So that's the name of this valley. Uh, Jerusalem, people probably picture, sits on, uh, this is ancient Jerusalem before a lot of the fill that was done, so it sits on in this mountainous area, sort of on a uh, a peak, sort of sticking out here above the valleys, which makes it very easy to defend. Um, to the to the southwest, you've 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 got valleys on all sides, but you get this valley to the southwest. Uh, this particular gate, um, a variant reading is the the Sun Gate. Well, actually, that's the East Gate called the Sunday Gate, because that's, that's where the sun comes up. Um, and I, apparently you go out, the valley itself is on the southwest, but you could go, the gate's sort of on the corner. You, you go out the east gate and you turn and there you are, you know, facing southwest. Um, and uh, it, so it's identified as the Potsherd Gate, although there's a Jewish target that identifies it with the, the Dung Gate, um, which apparently as, as a lesser-known small gate, it leads to this valley. And a dung gate, a potsherd gate, uh, all seem to fit with the understanding that this valley, it, it's the trash dump. It, it's where you throw your broken pottery, you step out this gate and give it a toss. Um, it's apparently where you, you throw the, the dung, you step out the gate and you give it a toss. Um, and... Uh, uh, this is a valley where uh, possibly at this time garbage is burned. Uh, apparently also the, the dead bodies of criminals are burned there. Um, don't know if it's always had this purpose. Uh, the original name, uh, one of the original names apparently is Topeth. Um, and looking for my notes here. Oh, Topeth. Uh, it literally means spitting, or an object of spitting, um, and he's going to pick up on that later on, talking about the whole city, um, and uh, it seems to refer to a place for, for burning garbage. Now, earlier, uh, this was a place for burning not only garbage, but offering, a, there was a high place there, um, known as Topeth, that was a place where they sacrificed to Moloch, and Moloch is the, the God used the term the detestable God of the Canaanites, uh, to whom you sacrifice children, sort of like the, you know, the, the the God of last resort. When you're desperate, you you sacrifice your very child to Moloch to get this whatever it is you're desperate to have. Um, and my understanding is that 
uh, Josiah, in order to put an end to this practice, desecrated it. Um, and I wonder if if uh, that's how it becomes this this place for garbage, etc. The local garbage dump is part of his desecration, or if it was garbage dump already before it was a place to sacrifice to Moloch. So this is not a, a pleasant place, to say the least, that the Lord s- sends I Jeremiah. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> that's, I mean, this is the, the city dump and, and far worse that we're talking about, that the Lord sends Jeremiah and these elders of the people, elders of the priests. That's where this sermon is going to happen. And then the Lord gives to Jeremiah yes, what he is to say. I'm sorry, go ahead, Pastor Becker. Yes, well, if I can interrupt, yes, a very unpleasant place. This is the area, okay, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, later known in New Testament times uh, because of this reputation as Gehenna, uh, which is slang for hell. So as you can picture this, you know, this this smoky, burning, smelly, terrible place. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's bad enough that it becomes the, the slang for when you don't want to say H-E double toothpicks. Uh, you say this place. So, and and that that's a very good thing to bring up because it does give us a, a picture of just how bad this place was and what the image, particularly, comes to signify later on in the New Testament. So, you're you're talking about a place that's so bad that it becomes used as a synonym for hell. That's where the Lord sends Jeremiah to preach, and I, I suppose in, in that sense, then his sermon there's there's two object lessons as we'll see. It's not only this pottery that he's going to do something with in in the second part of the text, but just the setting of the sermon itself is a part of what he's going to preach to the people. Now, there in that place, in in this terrible uh, valley of the son of Hinnom, the Lord gives Jeremiah to speak. He says to the, the kings of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So it sounds like even though he's got the elders gathered, this message is intended for all the people. And we've heard Jeremiah preach about disaster before. He says it again. And he uses this phrase that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. What, what does that phrase indicate about what Jeremiah is preaching and the disaster that he's, he's predicting? Yes, that, that is an expression that, that is used, he's used before, and it's, it's found elsewhere in the Bible. And it's apparently an expression, boy, this is such a terrible thing to hear that that your ears themselves will sort of you know, burn or sting or tingle uh, with the very words hitting your ears. Um, that's the idea. Um, one of the first uses of this expression is when uh, Samuel, uh, as a young boy, was told to tell priest Eli that his sons and uh, the ark uh, were going to be lost to the Philistines, and there was going to be a terrible day uh, in the tabernacle. Um, and uh, the expression at that time was, you know, that this is a message that will cause the ears that hear it to tingle. Uh, later on, um, Manasseh, King Manasseh, uh, is drugged off to Assyria with a, by a hook in his nose, uh, and that also is referred to as uh, the, the warning of that is, is a message that it's going to a message that will cause people's ears to tingle. Uh, well, one thing that we I, I, I kind of skipped. 
Well, I was just say, I, I kind of skipped over, Pastor Becker, the, the name that the Lord gives himself here. And we've seen this before, but I think it's worth pointing out every time we see it. He's, he calls himself the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. What's the significant of that, significance of that name? And then you feel free to add whatever comments you'd, you'd like on this verse and as we go on. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to come back to that, that name, too, the Lord of hosts. That's, that's the, the Sabaoth, the army, the heavenly armies. Um, they're, they're concerned about various enemies coming after them. The, the God is saying, uh, those enemy armies are nothing compared to me. You should see my army. Uh, I'm the one who commands the armies, uh, that is, the, 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 the angelic host. And I'm the one that you should be concerned about and afraid because I can bring destruction like nobody else can. Um, and and that's, that's the significance behind who's talking here. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's that. I, I was going to say about the, uh, the, the tingling ears, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what it's like to have ears tingle. Um, but I, I can imagine, you know, there are sights that, that maybe make your eyes burn. I can picture that. I can, I can think of smells that cause your nose to just sort of burn. And, and I think it's just sort of uh, whatever it would be of your ears, it would be like that, that kind of a thing. Yeah, mm. yeah that, that's, a, a, that's a, an interesting sensation to, to experience. I'm not sure. I don't know what that would be like. But, yeah, that's the, that's the image is that it – this message and what they're going to hear about it is is so so disastrous and so i mean it's so real that it's it's going to actually have a physical effect on them that's how that's how real this destruction is i, I recall back to the very first chapter where the lord promises jeremiah that his word is going to do what what he's going to do and i think the the thought of the ears tingling upon the hearing of the word and then upon you know the the hearing of what has happened here in Jerusalem and in Judah it's just so so real so violent that their ears actually experience a physical sensation at the hearing of it it's a, it's a very vivid image now pastor becker as the yeah, the text our human ears could do what some animal ears can do and then sort of reach out and close themselves they would yeah, that's that's a that's a fantastic image as well to to put into our minds for what's going to be experienced here in that idea of the tingling of the ears. Into into verse four, Pastor Becker, the Lord begins to list the offenses that the people have committed that is going to lead to this proclamation of judgment. What are some of the the offenses that are listed there in verses four and five? Well, first of all, forsaking me. Uh that's a pretty general uh thing that the prophets condemn, because that's what people do. They were forsaking him. Uh, second, uh, specifically profaning this place by making offerings in it to other gods. Uh, so <laughs> you're profaning a garbage dump. <laughs> that's how bad you are. <laughs> wow. that, that even a garbage dump is profaned by what you're doing here. Um, so offerings to other gods that, 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 that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. God often refers to himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, I am the God of your ancestors. These other, who are these other gods? Your, your, your ancestors didn't worship these gods. They didn't help them at all. Where are you coming up with these bums? Um, 
and specifically because they filled this place with the blood of innocents. Okay, who, who are these innocents? Um, well, he refers in a little bit to killing the children in worship of, of Moloch. Well, they certainly are innocents, although not just them. Uh, it could also include uh, general mistreatment of innocent people. Manasseh did this uh, back in Second Kings. Uh, he was condemned for, for you know, killing innocent people, people they did nothing to deserve it, and they just, ah, I don't care about you, just kill them for, for your own selfish purposes. Uh, Jeremiah condemns this way back in chapter 2, verse 34, that is the guiltless poor. You take advantage of them, and, and you know, they die because of how you treat them. Back in chapter 7, verse 6, back in chapter, um, well, forward, I mean, in chapter 22, verse 3, uh, he mentions other innocents, uh, the sojourner, uh, the fatherless, the widow, uh, one who has been robbed, the resident alien. Those are other innocents that they have mistreated in such ways that they, that they die, whether they're literally going out with a sword and, sword and slaughtering them. But, but that's the kind of things that you're doing. Well, and then, uh, as he builds up worse and worse, you built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Now, I have to admit, okay, Baal worship uh, doesn't typically include uh, burnt offerings, especially, you know, burning children. That's Molech worship, um, although they are all Canaanite deities. The word Baal literally means Lord, um, and so maybe he's simply using Baal in the sense of, you know, Lord, that is, this Lord Molech, rather than the, 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 the typical Baal is the storm god who's worshipped by uh, sex orgies on top of high places to get Baal excited and make it rain. Um, but uh, here, here it's Baal is the name that's, that's connected with this uh, specifically here the uh, murder the, the slaughter of innocent children. So pretty much anything bad you could have done in terms of idolatry, it's happening in this valley, and, and that's where the Lord sends Jeremiah to preach with this earthenware flask, this buck, buck, glug, glug. And we're going to see how Jeremiah uses that in just a little bit, but we're going to take our break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to Pastor Vance Becker. Help us with Jeremiah chapter 19. We'll be right back. Please stick around. This Wednesday, June 16th, 2021, KFUO Radio celebrates with our day sponsor, Warren Flants of Arnold, Missouri. Warren made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of Joshua and Amanda Stegman. Warren is thankful to the Lord for the blessing that he has given to Joshua and Amanda for 20 years of marriage and two adopted children. Thank you, Warren Flants, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor. An old man 
blind to his own bitterness. I will never forgive her. A young girl blind to her own identity. There are people who want to hurt me. Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand. I will take the girl. Get rid of Capitola once and for all. Starring Katie Lee as Capitola. <laughs> Discover the hidden hand on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, June 16th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 to 15 with Pastor Vance Becker. He's an LCMS missionary to Kenya, theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. Pastor Becker, prior to the break, we were talking about this valley where Jeremiah is sent to preach, and all sorts of evil, all sorts of wickedness, idolatry are happening in this valley. And so the Lord sends Jeremiah there to proclaim that the days are coming when this valley, which is is known by, I mean, it's, it's a trash dump, far worse. It becomes uh, an image for hell later on. The Lord tells Jeremiah and, and he tells the people that this valley is going to have a new name, the Valley of Slaughter. Why does the Lord want this valley renamed? Well, I don't know if he wants it renamed, but it, it's going to be called that. Uh, because of the great slaughter that is going to happen, not because of their idolatrous sacrifices, but because they, the people of Israel and Jerusalem, are going to be slaughtered by their enemies. And uh, they're going to be slaughtered in such numbers that there's not even going to be room to bury them. And this is where their bodies are going to end up, in, in mass graves possibly, in this garbage dump. And, uh, and, and maybe, maybe this valley itself is where their enemies will bring them to slaughter them rather than, than haul their dead carcasses after their death. Um, so it's going to be uh, known as this by others who say, you know, so many people died here. So the, the name for the valley continues to indicate just how bad a place it is. And it's a bit ironic is maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, but that this was the place where all these atrocities had happened. And now the people who had committed those atrocities are actually going to be slaughtered in the very place where they were you know, slaughtering their own children in sacrifice to these idols. Yeah, that's sort of the poetic justice of it. You know, the, the things that you're doing are going to come back and uh, and sort of you know happen worse than, than what you were intending to do in the first place. Yeah. Speaking of how bad it is, I, I just want to step back to verse five, where he talks about you know offering these sons in fire as burnt offering. He, God makes the comment, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Did he mention that? I I just have to wonder if. Some people might possibly have justified what they're doing with God's instruction to Abraham to kill his son Isaac, uh, by the way, which many believe was at this very location, uh, that is where, where Jerusalem is sitting right now. Um, and, and I wonder if God is saying, no, no, don't, don't hang this idea of child sacrifice on me. Uh, I did not have Abraham go through with that. Um, this was not something I had in my mind. Um, uh, that's something that, that you're responsible for, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that that makes good sense. And I mean, it just shows how far away from the Lord the people have fallen that it's, that's not even a, a twisting of what he said, you know, like that he said this and they kind of twist it and get part of it right. This is something that he never even thought of at all. And so this this is an idea that came from nowhere but the the sinful hearts of his people that they would do this and, and declare it something good. Now, as as the as the Lord continues to give Jeremiah the words to preach in this place, the way that ESV translates it, the Lord tells Jeremiah that I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. And and you you tell me, Pastor Becker, there's a play on words there that's important for the context of what Jeremiah is holding in his hand at the moment. Yeah, I think so, because this is make void. The, the, the Hebrew word there can be, also can be translated, I will, I will pour out the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. And the word uh, book is it's related to the, the name of the book, 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 book the, the, the model that he's got. So this, this, uh, this glug glug, um, he says, I'm going to glug it. That is, I'm going to, I'm going to pour it out. And basically what he's saying to the, to the people is, he says, I'm going to glug glug you. I, I'm going I'm to pour you out like you, you pour out uh, a bottle. Um, and, well, you, that is specifically your, your plans. The, the, the idea you've got that, that by worshiping these idols is somehow going to be helpful to you, and this way of life you're somehow going to prosper by taking advantage of other people, and that you're somehow going to be able to fend off your enemies um, without the help of me, the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, uh, is that those plans worthless. Um, there's so much water on the ground. Um, and so I think in a sense, uh, there's actually two action prophecies going on here. Before even the breaking of the flask uh, is the pouring out, the emptying of the flask. Uh, and uh, Paul talks about how we are we are you know, clay vessels. You know, we have this treasure that is the gospel in jars of clay. That we're our bodies are are fragile, sort of like pottery, and uh, and yet God God fills us with precious things, with with His Holy Spirit, um, with with life. And so he's saying, okay, you guys, you're, you're like this, this clay jar made by God to contain something. Uh, you're a vessel. Now, you're supposed to be a vessel for God, what God wants to do, and the good things that God does. But instead, you, you are full of bad things. You're full of foolish, worthless plans. And so God's just going to going to go, 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 like I got to dump you out. Uh, that's the first picture, uh, even before the smashing of the jar itself. That's a really vivid image. And I, I appreciate you bringing that out as you're talking. It reminds me of the way Jeremiah preached way back at the beginning of the book and in, in chapter two, verse 13, where the Lord tells his people that they've, there's two evils they've committed. First, they've forsaken him the fountain of living waters. And second, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that thought of, you know, that, that these people, because of their idolatry, can't actually hold any water. 
and I, I don't know, I'm tr- maybe I'm trying to make too many connections here, but that now here in 19, they've actually filled themselves with something other than water, any, something any good. They've got these plans that at their own making, they have nothing to do with what the Lord ever imagined or thought of. And so the Lord is going to actually empty them out now. It's, it's all going to be poured out. Their plans are going to come to nothing. And that's pictured by this, this earthenware flask that Jeremiah is holding. And, and again, you know, I mean, I guess it doesn't say it in the text, but it's not hard to picture him at that moment you know, literally turning the jug upside down and it, it makes that noise, buck, 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 buck. And, and there, there's the picture to go along with the sermon he's preaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's you, know, you, God made you, you are his vessel, but you're full of something that God never intended you to be full of. Uh, and, and uh, I think we could even say in that, in that English perspective, you guys are full of it. Uh, and and it, it ain't good. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna pour you out. And now you mentioned similar things at the beginning. In fact, it's interesting to me that that in verses six and seven are parallel. They're they're rep- repeated from way back in chapter seven, verses thirty-two to thirty-three. In other words, he said this stuff before. This is not the first time you've heard this, people. Uh, you know, I got to tell you again because you you haven't learned yet. Um, and uh, so and he so here's this warning. I'm I'm going to make void your plans. Specifically, you're going to fall by the sword of your enemies and the hand who seeks your life. And this expression, I'm going to uh, give the dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. This is a, a expression goes all the way back to Elijah. Um, you hear this from Elijah. Um, at the, uh, you know, the, the, the the prophets of Baal back with King Ahab way back then, um, and the, to me the idea is that you're going to be killed. All of you are going to be so totally devastated. There's not even going to be anybody left to bury the dead bodies, mm-hmm. and so they're going to lay here exposed. And that's why the, the dogs are going to come along and eat them, and the birds of the air are going to you know, pick them up and eat them. Uh, this is sort of like this curse, you know, you, and it's repeated over and over again of the kings of Israel in the, uh, the north um, as one bad dynasty follows another. And the next dynasty, okay, same thing's going to happen to you. The birds of the air are going to eat those who die in the in the country, and the dogs are going to eat those who die in the city. Why? Because everybody is dead, and your dead bodies is laying there. And for Jewish people, I mean, that is just a horrible thought that you won't be buried when you die. Pastor Becker, we've got a couple more verses in this section. I, I do want to move on so we can get to the rest of the, the text this morning. Uh, the, yeah. the imagery just grows uh, stronger and stronger, more and more horrifying. What do those last two verses, verses 8 and 9 in this section, have to have to say to the people of Judah and Jerusalem? Okay. This also is something that's happened before, uh, way back in, in Israel, in the north, when Samaria was under siege. And uh, the people were starving so much they were they were killing and, and eating their own kids, um, and it's sort of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you think you're going to help yourself by killing your kids, offering them to, to idols, 
know it's going to backfire. It's going to get so bad that you're killing your kids just to eat them. Um, that's how that's how severe the famine is going to be in your distress. So then from there, Jeremiah continues, or the Lord continues to give Jeremiah instructions concerning what else to do with this piece of pottery that he's holding. So we pick up the text in verse 10. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth because there will be no place else to bury. Thus will I do to this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth, the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the host of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods, shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. That was the rest of the chapter, all the way at verses 10 through 15 here in Jeremiah chapter 19. Mm -hmm. So, Pastor Becker, we come to what seems to be the, the main event in verses 10 and 11. Jeremiah is told to break this glug glug, this book book. Uh, what's, what's going on there in those first two verses of this section? Okay, this, apparently, this is something that uh, is not so a totally novel idea um, when uh, other peoples want to say that you're going to be destroyed. They'll, they'll have a, a pottery jar that's identified with you, maybe with your name on it, and they take it and break it as sort of a, I don't know, a curse, a way of saying, okay, you are going to be broken like this. Well, that's exactly what he says. You uh, are going to be broken like this. You are, so you're a, you're a vessel, and God has made you, like we saw in the last chapter, uh, for his purposes, but, but you're not meeting those purposes. So what good are you? Well, just to smash you then. Um, and, and so I'm going to destroy, I'm going to smash this whole place, this whole city, uh, in a way that um, it, it can never be mended. And it's interesting to me, you know, pottery, to, to me, it's, it's the plastic bags of the ancient world. Uh, in one sense, be, be, you know, cheap and plentiful, okay, it also uh, flimsy, easily, you know, broken or ripped as plastic bags are. And yet, you know, plastic bags... Uh, you find they're indestructible. I mean, thousand years from now, people will be digging up and here's this plastic bag still. It just <laughs> it doesn't decay. Well, the same is true of pottery. Yeah, you, you dig it up, it's, it's, it's pieces, but it's still there. Well, you know, that's what we are like. God has designed us to be such that that yes, we're broken. And we've got this priceless treasure in these clay jars. And even though we're broken, we still exist. I mean, into eternity, we will still exist because God is going to put us back together again. Now, Israel is the pottery jar that's not put back together again. And it's true, even after the return from Babylonian exile, 
they're never all put back together again. They're, they're always the diaspora. Um, and, and that's what he's saying. You're going to be broken in a way that you will never be put back together again. And yet you will continue to exist. There will still be, and he doesn't say it here, but there's this sort of a hint. There will still be this remnant. There will still be people that I will preserve. You're not going to totally dissolve into dust and disappear into the ages. No. Um, in, in a way, you're, you're still around. But um, I'm going to make this whole city like this garbage dump. And I'm going to make the, the, the houses. And here again, it's this poetic justice, these these places where on the rooftop you worship these other gods now, the, the starry hosts of heaven, uh, those places also are going to be destroyed uh, so that the, the roof is going to fall in on you, uh, so to speak. And uh, the drink offerings that you've, you've poured out to other gods, this is another way of making offerings is to, to pour out this, sacrifice by pouring out this offering, this drink offering, um, uh, it's just going to be spilled on the ground. It's, it's all going to be made garbage, like this garbage dump. I appreciate what you were saying about the, the pottery there, and the, even the very drastic image of destruction that Jeremiah is given here by smashing this pot there is still a, an element of hope, at least if, if we take into account the fullness of, of Scripture. It may not be explicit here in Jeremiah chapter 19, but when we consider where else the Lord speaks of, say, pottery, and, and the idea of you know raising from the dead, keeping a remnant, you know, even, even here some of the overlap in the language, as you mentioned back to, to chapter 7, and there, and as it goes into chapter eight, there's a very vivid image of you know these dead bones just lying there underneath the sun, the moon, the stars, and there's nothing to be done. That's how Jeremiah pictures it. But of course, we have that that wonderful image from Ezekiel where the Lord raises those dry bones. And so, you know, to use something like pottery here, which is as you said, the, the plastic bags of of their day, I love it. That's going to last. The Lord, the Lord is the one who is in the business of restoring His people, of building them up. You know, to go back to the language of Jeremiah's call back in in chapter one. Certainly, the Lord is busy doing a lot of the the breaking down and destroying with His word right now. But He's also the one who builds and who plants. And, and even, you know, implicit in this image of the pot, that the Lord can put it back together and, and will put it back together, you know, through faith in his son. That's where all of this is, of course, leading, is, is that the Lord is going to preserve himself a remnant and preserve that line of the Christ to keep that promise. And so, you know, even in the midst of this destruction that's being prophesied here, that we, we know from the fullness of Holy Scripture that there is hope in Christ, that the Lord is the one who does you know, build his people back up for the sake of keeping his promise in Christ. Yeah, you have to, you have to, if you, Rev. Rousel, uh, uh, of saint in memory, a prophet, a homiletics prophet, St. Louis, talked about gospel handles. And, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to preach on this, you have to find some sort of a gospel handle in all of this law. And, and I think maybe that's it, that, that, there is yet a shred, a remnant, uh, that because God is God, he can do something with. Uh, even though, to come back to these false gods, these false gods are so worthless, 
they can't even preserve the place where you worship them. You know, the rooftop where you worship them and the place where you worship, they can't even preserve that. That's how worthless they are. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once again, we see how in that preaching, the Lord you know, mocks the, these idols who really can't do anything at all. Take us into those last two verses, Pastor Becker, verses 14 and 15. Okay. So apparently what happens now, so he's outside the city doing this. And yeah, the leaders are there. Maybe others have tagged along and heard him. But now he comes in and he goes into the, the temple itself, into the courts of the Lord's house. And apparently repeats all that, just in case you, you missed the, what happened, you weren't there. Um, let me repeat it for everybody else, because even those worshiping in the Lord's house, they are not innocent. They themselves are uh, double-minded. They're worshiping God, and they're guilty of these other things as well. And so he comes right into the temple of the Lord's house and says, uh, don't think you're getting out of this. Yes, you too. I'm bringing upon this city and this town all the disaster that I've talked about um, because this is coming on all of you. And I have to comment, uh, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words, this stiff neck uh, expression is not uncommon in Scripture. And I discovered here in this part of Africa, uh, there are no horses. Uh, they, they, they just, there's diseases that are common to them, so people don't have horses. And so I was telling my students about, but what's this stiff neck? I said, well, you know, with a horse, the way that when you're riding it or, or driving it, the way you steer it is you put a bit in its mouth and you use this to turn its head because the horse is going to go the direction that you have turned it. And if a horse is stubborn and does not want to go where you want it to go, it'll just stiffen its neck so its head won't turn and it'll keep going the direction that it wants to go. Um, so I, I don't know, horseback riding is maybe not that common anymore. It doesn't hurt to mention that's what a, a stiff neck is. It's, a, it's refusing to have your head turned and therefore to go the direction that the rider is trying to make you to go. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, an image that the scriptures do make use of on, on occasion. And it is helpful to, to see that picture. I think too, you know, the, the image of the, the horse riding helps. I've, I've often likened it too, because it seems that that, that image of a stiff neck often goes with a not inclining the ear. And so, you know, I'm going to keep my head focused in one direction so I can keep my ear closed to whatever the, the Lord wants to say. I'm not going to turn, turn my head so I can turn my ear toward him so that I don't have to listen to what he says. I don't have to repent and believe in him. So yeah, that, that stiff neck is, is certainly, a, a very a stark image. Pastor Becker, we've got just over three minutes here on the morning to, to reflect on this text as a whole. How we, you know, how should we take a text like this as Christians today? What do we do with it? And again, how, how do we go from Jeremiah chapter 19 and see the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord? Okay. Well, I will I will comment here in verse 15. He repeats this name, the Lord of hosts the God of Israel. And you know, there is gospel again. There, there's this little spark. I am still your God. Uh, I am still, I still claim you as my people in spite of all of this. And I should be worshipped as your God. And I'm not going to give up my position as your God. Now, as far as application, say if we were preaching on this, oh, we might think to ourselves, well, we're certainly not as bad as what he is picturing. And yet, 
we do make our own plans. We fill ourselves up with our own ideas rather than God's plans, uh, intending to benefit ourselves rather than doing what he wants us to do. Uh, we do things that we, oh, I know it's wrong, but, but we think that, that being greedy, for example, being proud, being critical of others, uh, we think somehow that's actually going to help me to get the things that I want. Uh, but it's but it's like idolatry. It's it's not helping you. It's it's actually hurting you, um, and uh, it's going to cause what it's not going to cause what you desire to happen, but it's going to backfire. And uh, so the thing that, that that they've done wrong, thinking that they're going to help them, we also do things wrong, thinking it's going to help us, and uh, we also are very slow uh, to repent. Uh, so, well, and for example, he talks about the slaughtering of the children. You can't help but make the connection to abortion in our day. I mean, that's, that's Molech worship. Um, and so among us, we have these, we have to admit the same sinfulness. And so we also need to, to listen to Jeremiah. Uh, and it's a merciful thing that God warns them. I'm going to do this. Not that he wants to, but we have to do this sometimes too. We have to say this is terrible, bad, and I say it because I love you, and I warn you, don't keep going like this, because God always, no matter what, how severe His warning, He always leaves Himself a door to be merciful, to do what He says He's going to do, and yet if you will repent, and you you could repent yet, He's got a way to. Turn it so that I'm doing what I'm saying we're going to do, but yet I'm showing mercy. Pastor Vance Becker is LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving there as a theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matongo, Kenya, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Becker, thanks for being our guest. Blessings on your service to the Lord in Kenya. Well, thanks so much, and blessings on your ministry there. When you're full of it, the Lord says, he will pour you out. What are you filled with? Are you filled with the Lord and his word? Or do you have a stiff neck, one that will not turn where the Lord leads, one that will not turn to hear his word? The Lord speaks his warning to us in Jeremiah that we might repent because he loves us. He does not want us to walk into disaster. Rather, he wants us to turn and be led to Christ Jesus, his son, who has brought us salvation in his blood shed for us in his resurrection and in his ascension as he reigns and lives to all eternity. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Jeremiah, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app and the open mic feature to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.